0: morning, guys. (laughs) Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Revelation, chapter 8. We missed you last week. It's good to be back. Uh, Had a chance to uh, spend some time in Texas, and uh, we attended the Village Church last Sunday in Dallas. Got to hear one of my favorite preachers, not named Trevor Schubert, um, Matt Chandler, And so that was a treat. I really enjoyed. We were edified by the service. And I I almost forgot that I was in Texas, but I didn't because in the middle of the sermon, uh, I'm locked in, I'm focused, and behind me, I hear a click. That sounded like a knife. (laughs) Opening up, and so like, okay, I just glanced behind me. It was a knife. And that's generally not a good thing. I would think in church, maybe some of you are, you know, carrying today. I don't know. But uh, apparently the gentleman there, he needed to uh, cut with the knife a a page out of his journal to hand to his buddy to take notes for the sermon. So it was like the most manly, unmanly thing I've ever seen. You couldn't just rip it. You got to take the knife out, click the knife, and then cut it. Yep, we're in Texas. Maybe some of you have done that and I haven't noticed, but uh, yeah. So let's read our passage today as we continue through Revelation and now into the seven trumpets. Chapter 8, starting in verse 6. Now the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the trumpets, of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For this creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We're living it, Lord. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Oh, how we wait. And in this hope, Lord God, we were saved. The hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, Lord, we wait for it with patience. Grant us patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, for he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us as saints according to the will of God in our heart. And we know that for those who love God, we know, we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good those who are called according to your purpose. Refresh us, Father. Refresh us in the truth. Remind us of the truth. Renew our minds in the truth. That No matter what we're going through, no matter what the week held, no matter what the week holds ahead, all things are working together by the word of your power for our good. So I pray and ask, Lord, that you would bless the preaching of your word and that you would transform your people, that you would call those who don't know you to a saving relationship with you, and that we would sense and feel something of your presence. Lord, we already do, for we are worshiping. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we are moving through the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've finished seven seals, Uh, previews, foretastes of judgment. Now the judgment is happening, escalating, trumpets. So you remember your memory work? Seals, trumpets, bowls, seals, trumpets, bowls. If you want to get fancy, put letters in there, letters, seals, trumpets, bowls. just helps you have a good map of the, the book. Um, The seven trumpets are warnings. The trumpets are warnings. They are judgments meant to warn the world that God will not be mocked by human sin. He is God. He is holy. You can't do whatever you want and get away with it. That's what the trumpets are communicating. They're meant to warn you that time is running out to repent. Um, as you experience them, so war, natural disaster, famine, plague, things that have happened, things that are happening, things that will happen, um, they're meant to get your attention. Be warned. They're meant to get your attention. Hey, Dwayne, I see you looking around back there. Can we turn that fan off? Up top. Is that making noise? I feel like it's making noise. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Maybe it's not just me. <laughs> Thanks, Bailey. Um, as we think about warnings and trumpets, the first time I came to Madison, the very first time I came, I got pulled over. That's right. I. I I'm used to city driving, okay, at that point. And, and 40, 45 is like a low speed limit in the city. So I'm just flying through town at 40, 45. And you see the headlights behind you. And you know that moment of panic of like what you, 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 words come out that you're not proud of. Your, your brain just completely shuts down. You start sweating. Your eyes are blurry. Like you just pull off site, you pull up on the curb. Maybe you take out a mailbox. Like the brain just – you're just a three-year-old immediately when you see lights in the, in the mirror. <laughs> so you, you do stupid things. Like you, you, you pull over, you get out of the car, start walking toward the officer. You know, like, what seems to be the problem? They're like, sir, back up. So, so I'm there, and I'm like, great, this is perfect. Nothing says um, man of integrity like the first time you're in town, you break the law and get caught. Like that's tremendous. But the officer was super cool. He was uh, uh, gracious. He said, just a warning today, watch your speed. Just a warning, watch your speed. The whole scary incident of being warned is meant to affect you. It's meant to change your behavior. I'm reminded that I am accountable for my behavior, I'm reminded that I am a person under authority in case I forgot that I think I can go 45 and a 30. No, you can't. I should change my behavior so that doesn't happen again or something worse. The full measure of justice poured out, which is what I deserved. I deserved a ticket. Uh, I got a warning. Kindness was extended. i meant to respond appropriately and change my behavior. Go 30 miles an hour or less. God sending preliminary, partial judgments into the world is like that. Be warned. God is real. Hell is real. You are accountable. You need a Savior. Wake up. wake up. That's what a warning is meant to do. When you see plague the last couple of years, when you see natural disaster, when you see bad things happening in the world, it's meant to warn you. It's meant to wake you up. It's meant to rouse a sleepy world from its spiritual slumber. This is not just happening. This is not just stuff happening by accident. It has a purpose. And it's very important that you understand that purpose. Because if you don't, it'll just scare you. It'll just scare you if you don't understand why the things that are happening in the world are happening. It's very easy to fear what you don't understand, amen? Very easy. We do that really well. We fear what we don't understand. So it's important that you understand as God has revealed it, to the degree He's revealed it, what He's doing. The world feels very out of control unless you know a God who is in control. The world feels very scary unless you understand the good and wise God who's in charge of those things. God shows us these visions not to scare us, but to comfort us. Not to scare us, but to comfort us. He's saying, I do this because I am God. I must punish evil. I do this because I'm patient. I'm giving the world time to repent. I do this because I love you. And I'm testing your faith so that it may be found to be real. And you may persevere through the trial and know that you're a Christian. You have to know those things, believe those things, process what's going on in the world through that lens. That's one of the reasons we're given these visions. Not to be like, oh my gosh, what's happening? It's crazy. It's wild. No, because God is working. It's intentional. It has a reason. It has a purpose. So, we want to walk through the trumpets. Starting with verse 6, an introduction to them. Look at verse 6 with me. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. So, Trevor touched on it last week. Trumpets in the Bible typically signal God is about to intervene to defeat his enemies. So you hear a trumpet, God is about to throw down. This is his walk-up music, okay? If you're not on God's team and you hear a trumpet, you're in trouble because he's he's about to do something. Okay, first trumpet, verse 7. First angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. A couple things to notice. The first four trumpets affect the earth, the natural world, which of course affects those who live on the earth. The fifth through seventh trumpets directly affects God's enemies, the wicked, false believers in the church. and the language of Revelation, those who dwell on the earth. Okay, so you're tracking with that. Four, affect the natural world, things going on in the world. Five through seven are direct judgments against those who have rejected God, unbelievers. Also notice the restraint. One-third, one-third, one-third. This is God's restraint. When we get to the bowls, there's no more restraint. It's, it's, It's everyone, everywhere. Except for those marked with God's seal. So there, there's a limited nature to the trumpet judgment. The bowls are not yet. The end is not yet. Eye for an eye justice is not yet. It's coming, but this is a warning. And in this case, hail and fire mixed with blood. Now, we've got to be careful here. Now, trying to figure out exactly what this is is not the point. Is it a volcano? is it red ash, is it lightning, you know, fire, and it's just not the point. Trying to figure out exactly when this happened, like a singular event, not the point. These are repeating cycles of judgment, repeating symbols of judgment. Hail, perhaps symbolizing some kind of natural disaster coming from above. It's very common in the Bible. Fire, destruction of the food supply, grass, trees, trees. Crops, f- blood, people are dying. These things are bringing about death to some degree, to some limited degree. You're living through it. You're living through it. And here's an important application for us in, as wealthy first world people. In this fallen world, you should be more surprised when things go right than when they go wrong. You should be more surprised when things go right than when things go wrong. I think for a lot of us it's the opposite. We're pretty surprised when things go wrong. Not so much when things go right. Many of you, you're shocked, you're horrified. How could this happen when something bad happens? When bad people do bad things as though, (laughs) what else should we expect? You shouldn't be. Shocked? You shouldn't be surprised. The world is broken. Really broken. It lies under the power of the evil one. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Bad people do bad things. Evil should affect you, absolutely. You shouldn't be cynical. We don't want to get cynical. We don't want to get hardened. We don't want to just, you know, become stoics. We don't show emotion. Evil should move you to work for justice in the world, to have compassion on people, but it should not surprise you. Are you surprised when bad things happen? It is only the common grace, the restraining grace of God, that that's not all we experience. He's holding people back every single day. Friends, this is reality. Revelation is pulling back the curtain. This is reality. This is the scroll being executed by King Jesus. This is what's supposed to happen in the end times. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised because when you're shocked, when you're surprised, Satan has an opportunity in your life because you're on your heels. You're doubting. You're questioning. Not leaning forward in faith i'm not saying you shouldn't be moved or affected i'm saying you shouldn't be surprised second trumpet verse 8 the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed You'll notice a lot of parallels in the trumpets with the plagues of Egypt in the book of Exodus. Uh, Hail, locusts, darkness, water turned to blood. Um, What is God doing? What was He doing in the plagues of Egypt? Very familiar to us as Christians, uh, especially if we grew up in the church. Mainly, He was demonstrating I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. God did not mainly send plagues into Egypt to bring about mass repentance. Okay, It wasn't an evangelism campaign. If it was, it failed. It didn't work. But that wasn't his main point. That wasn't why he did it. Throughout the plagues, God and Moses, they assume that Pharaoh is not going to respond. That Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. That God is going to harden his heart. That he's going to let him do what he wants to do, Pharaoh that is, which is to dig in. In his pride. God knows that. God expects that. He sends these things to show, I am the Lord. I will not be mocked. God sets up the whole scenario so that he will give glory, so that everyone would see, everyone would see and be warned that Pharaoh and his kingdom are nothing compared to our God. Kingdoms of the earth, earthly powers, afflicting God's people. You think you're in control? You think you, you're in charge? Who do you think you are, Pharaoh? You don't think I can rescue my people at the very moment I want to do it? You don't think I can take all your goods, all your gold, and give it to my people if I want to? You think you're going to get away with your idolatry? You don't know me, God says. You don't know that I am the Lord. And Babylon the Great, the time that we live in, the center of idolatry, the center of Sexual immorality, the home of abomination, the dwelling place of demons, is nothing compared to our God. Don't be scared of it. It is nothing, nothing compared to our God. Revelation tells us he will throw it into the sea, never to be heard from again at the word of his mouth. And that is the truth, so that you know I am the Lord. The plagues in Egypt, Babylon, In Revelation, the trumpets in Revelation, all of it, this is God flexing. He's saying, I am the Lord. See and believe. Don't be deceived by what you see in this world. I am the Lord. I am God and there is no other. That's it. When is the last time you felt that? Because we give a lot of credence, and a lot of power to people who really don't have a lot of power. Wealthy people, CEOs, kings, presidents, who do you think you are? You put your trust in this world, the things of this world, your power in this world, it's nothing. It's nothing. I'm going to take it from you if I want to in my wise and sovereign plan. God is God. That's it. And he shows us. He shows us mercifully, graciously, so that we would see and believe. When you see a hurricane, know that I am the Lord. So a burning mountain is thrown into the sea. What does that mean? Probably. The kingdoms of the world, great kingdoms falling. You're nothing without me. And it affects the ocean. It affects the food supply. It affects a port. It affects something related to trade in the ocean. So a kingdom falls. It's near a port. And the earth is affected. People are affected. People die. Because that was God's decision. It was time. Third trumpet. Verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So you have the earth, the kingdoms of the earth, the ocean, and now the rivers are afflicted with judgment. In the Bible, wormwood is, a, a ancient times, a, a bitter-tasting shrub. Um, and it's used as a metaphor in the Bible often, particularly in Jeremiah, for God's judgment coming, a bitter judgment. So God says to Israel in Jeremiah 9, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood, and give them poisoned water to drink. So now drinking water is affected. In some sense, in some sense, Restrained judgment, but another warning sent by the Lord. Fourth trumpet. Fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. We'll start with verse 13 next week. It's kind of a transition verse. This is a little hard to imagine. The language is difficult um, a third less light from the moon, a third less from the stars, a third less from the sun. Maybe that's just winter in South Dakota. I don't know. But when you read it, it's a little bit difficult to kind of tr- track with it. And I think really the idea is darkness. That, that's the point. Uh, darkness, common biblical symbol of the end times. I also think darkness could be symbolic for deception. Deception. Darkness of Babylon, the world system uh, is expressed in deception. One of the ways it's expressed, and as I thought about this, I, I think one of the greatest deceptions in our world today is the lie that sin is not a big deal. There are no consequences to sin. I think that's a lie that is very much alive and well in our culture. One thing Carrie and I look for when we pick out shows, movies, uh, particularly for the kids, but for ourselves as well, is if the story is honest about the consequences of sin. Is the story honest about the consequences of sin? To see sin and its consequences, now sometimes as Christians we have a hard time with this. It's like we just run away from anything sinful, a bad word or, you know, whatever, in something we're watching. You know, you... With your conscience before the Lord, do what He leads you to do. But I think we need to be careful there. Because sometimes it can be very good for your soul to see sin and then its consequences. If you see someone spiraling down in addiction, say drug addiction, and the consequences of that, their life is being ruined. That can be very good for you. You might think twice before you start taking drugs, because that's the truth. That's the truth. If you see something depicting taking drugs as it's fun, it's a party, no one's getting hurt, this is great, like I'm having a great time, high school party, that can be very bad for your soul, because that's a a lie. (laughs) It's not nobody gets hurt, it's not all fun and games. If you're being taught or told that you can have a one-night stand, have sex, use birth control, no one gets hurt, we had fun, no strings attached, that's a lie. To show the consequences of that, the devastation, the lifelong effect of that one sinful act will have on someone. It never goes away. Praise God. He forgives sin. Praise God. he, He makes us new. Praise God. He's changing us, praise God. That we, it, all of it won't be there for us on the last day. And we will be clean fully and feel it. But every single sin has a consequence. For those of you who profess to be Christians, is there an area of your life where you are tolerating sin? Adopting the world's mentality that it's just not that big a deal. Are you being deceived? I'll tell you, um, some of you are playing with fire right now. Some of you will in the future, young people, and I, I want you to remember what I say today. All this vivid imagery in Revelation is meant to wake you up. Don't be fooled. Don't play around. Don't mess around with sin. Wake up. The world would love to lull you to sleep to think that you can ignore God and nothing will happen. I'll live my life. I'll be fine. Whatever happens after that, I don't know. What am I talking about? There are marriages on the brink right now. Because you are tolerating your own sin. You are tolerating your own sin, maybe the sin of your spouse. And so your marriage is on the brink. There are people on the brink of addiction here today. Porn, food, shopping, TV, pills, alcohol, whatever it is. You're tolerating. Some of you are on the brink of adultery. You're starting to walk over that bridge. Adultery is like a bridge, it doesn't just happen. You, you, you take steps. And on the other side of the bridge is death. Don't be deceived. It's not, it's not fun. I mean, it may be fun in the moment, but <laughs> the rest of your life is fundamentally changed for the worse. Some of you are unwilling to forgive, you're holding on to something. Some of you are unwilling to confess. You just won't admit what you did. God knows. You know. Hear the gracious warnings of God. Do not dig in. I'm not saying you can't struggle. The Christian life is a battle. Absolutely it is. I'm not saying you can't struggle. What I'm saying is be careful you don't make peace with sin. If you make peace with sin, if you allow it to become an unrepentant pattern, do you hear me? If you allow it to become an unrepentant pattern, if you ignore God trying to get your attention, and some of you He is trying to get your attention, you call your salvation into question. You do. If you make peace with sin and you begin to invite the wrath of God, I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm saying you call into question whether you ever had it if you start to make peace with sin. The Christian life is one of repentance. If you're not repenting, if you're not fighting, that's a serious problem. And I share it with you. I challenge you because I love you. Because I care about you. And I know some of you are there. And some of the people in your life are there. God is trying to get your attention. Will you listen? Choose a better way. Choose life. Don't choose the pleasure of your pride. Doesn't pride feel so good sometimes? I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to admit what I did. I don't want to work it out. I don't want to reconcile. It feels better to be proud. Don't choose that. Choose life. Choose eternal life. This is serious. Okay. That's the fourth trumpet. And as we move through the trumpets, I want to teach for just a few minutes on the doctrine of God's providence. This is a a question I got this week, actually, and I I get it often, uh, related to God's providence, and particularly in Revelation. How does God's sovereignty work? With our responsibility. Clearly, God is sovereign. We've seen that in the book, Revelation 4 and 5. That's the point. God is in control, God is in charge. He gives the, the writers, you remember, permission. Permission. They were permitted. The voice comes from the throne, near the throne of God. So God's in charge. And yet, okay, God's not actually doing the evil things or um, morally responsible. What, what's my role? How is Satan involved in this? We're going to talk about him more as we get into the book deeper. I can't answer all those questions today. Uh, Hopefully you hear us answering them as we preach, just week to week. We talk about it at different times. Um, Help you get a handle on what the Bible says. But for today, I just want to encourage you with a couple thoughts, okay, related to God's providence. Here's the basic definition. God's will is primary. And decisive, he accomplishes his will through natural causes and real human choices. God's will is primary and decisive. He accomplishes his will through natural causes and real human choices. In other words, God is in control, but he doesn't control everything directly. You tracking with that? So a leaf falls from a tree, did God do that? Yes, but it wasn't a miracle, it wasn't a direct intervention into nature. No, he set it up so that naturally, as the course of the seasons happen and properties of a tree that I don't understand, okay, it turns a different color, it falls to the ground. It's a natural cause, but God is in charge and control of it. To us, that's mysterious. It isn't to God. Theologians call this concursus, literally going together. Creator's action, okay? Creature's action or creation's action, working together. Again, to us, it's hard, hard to see how that works and how, how to understand it, and that's okay. We don't have to understand it fully. Um, but to God, there's no tension, He's working. He created something out of nothing, and now he's sustaining. He's working through natural causes and our real, real choices that we're going to be accountable for. So, in the Bible, often the same action is attributed to God and human beings. The Bible just talks like that. For example, God feeds the birds of the air, but I put out the bird seed. Okay? God determines every roll of the dice. But I shook them, and I rolled them just how I wanted to. Proverbs 16.33. It sounds like a Kenny Rogers song. I shook them, I rolled them, but God controls them. Okay? God determines the times and dwelling places of all people. Acts 17.25. But I decided to move to Madison, South Dakota. I really did. So, You see concursus. You see the working together, the going together to accomplish God's good purposes and plan. Even through the physics of a die and your hand as it lets it go, God is working in that detail. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What? That's providence. Here's why that's encouraging. There is not a tug of war going on in the universe. There is not a tug of war going on in the universe. Um, And some Christians think this way. I'm saying it's their fault necessarily. Maybe they were taught it, but something good happens. Who did that? God. Something bad happens. Who did that? The devil. And God's maybe just on the... Cleanup crew. He comes in behind, fixes it. But there's this tug of war. And sometimes God wins and sometimes Satan wins. And, you know, the bad things, well, they can't be associated with God in any sense. Of course they can't. They can in a providential way. The message of the Bible is that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things, all things. Hear that. All things are from him, through him. To him, all things. There is nothing accepted from that. God is in a different category altogether. No one can thwart his will. Like, who do we think we are <laughs> that we can thwart his will or his plan or his purpose? Like, be humble. Yeah, you have decisions to make, but you're not God. God. When something bad happens, it is bad. We don't call it good. No, it is bad. But He permits it to bring about something good. The good of our salvation, the good of His enemies being judged. Never, never, ever has there been a meaningless tragedy. It's not possible. There is no meaningless tragedy that's ever happened in the world. And if you doubt me, if you want to see it with crystal clarity, look at the cross. Whatever you may think of Jesus Christ this morning, I can tell you this. His death was not the tragic end of a good man. Not a tragedy. How is that possible? Why, God? Why would you send your own son to be brutally murdered? Well, to forgive your sins, to bring about resurrection of this world and your body to make all things new, to conquer death, to save the world, to confound the world. Those are pretty good things, would you say? Okay, so the cross was the greatest thing that God has ever done. The greatest thing. Acts 2.23 captures providence perfectly. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus delivered up according to the foreknowledge and definite plan of God. God's sovereignty. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Our responsibility. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. purpose. No tug of war. God's plan, God's providence, God's victory, man's responsibility. Judas will be held accountable. Satan will be held accountable. Even though God played him like a fiddle. Satan, that is. Okay, you thought you were going to win. You thought you were going to defeat me at the cross, and that's where you lost. That's God's providence. That's encouraging. If he can do something that good through something that bad, what can he do in your life? If he can do the greatest thing through the worst thing, what can he do in your life with your problems, with your hard things, with the things going on in the world? Do you think those are hard for him? We just need to trust him. We need to trust him. He has good in mind for his people always. Can't see it always? It's hard to understand. Listen, if you're not a Christian, trust in Jesus, believe the gospel, and guess what? All things work together for your good. That is amazing. I mean, think about that. All things work together for your good. What kind of a God do we serve? It's one of the sweetest promises in the Bible, and if you're not a Christian, that is not true for you. All things work together for your damnation until you come to Jesus. Second reason providence is encouraging. It means your sphere of responsibility is simple. (laughs) What you carry should be kind of simple. Seek out, obey what God says in His Word. Leave the secret things alone. Embrace the freedom of mystery. Reject the burden of controlling anything. You can't control anything. So lay it down. God is provident. God is sovereign. Paul Miller says it this way Anxiety wants to be God, but lacks God's wisdom, power, or knowledge. Let me say that again. If you struggle with anxiety, it's probably just about all of us. Listen, anxiety wants to be God, but lacks God's wisdom, power, or knowledge. A godlike stance without godlike character and ability is pure tension. Feeling tension in your life? Anxiety is self on its own. It tries to get control. It is unable to relax in the face of chaos. Is it hard for you to relax in the face of even minor chaos in your home? control. Embrace being a creature. Just be a creature. All you're called to do is steward the gifts and tasks and relationship that, that, that God's given you just to be faithful with them. That's it. It's simple, folks. You understand why evil and suffering are in this world. You understand why it happens. God must punish sin. Uh, um, God is good and wise and in control. He is warning us to repent. I don't have to be scared. You can keep it simple. Love God. Love your family. Serve your church. Pray faithfully. Be a good friend. Raise your kids the best you can. Share the gospel. Rest in the gospel. And then die. And go be with Jesus. We overcomplicate it. It's kind of simple. And we squeeze things so tight that our hands start to bleed. What is that for you? What are you holding on to so tight that your hands are bleeding? And it's so hard for you to relax. Isn't it wonderful that God rules the details? He does, He rules the details. Every detail of your life, he is ruling from his throne in heaven. Isn't it wonderful that he promises to care for us? You don't have to take care of yourself. God's going to take care of you. Isn't that sweet? He wants you to be free, to enjoy your life, to find joy in your toil. Not just to toil, but to find joy in it because he's got it. He's got it. Whatever it is, he's got it. Our job is just to believe that and to live in it. Let God be God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your providence. What a sweet truth that, Lord, you did not just set the world in motion and remove yourself from it. You created, and now you are involved. You are distinct from your creation, but you are involved. You you made us in your image and likeness as creatures, and you enter into covenant with us. Lord, thank you that you are involved. Thank you that not a hair falls from our head without the will of our Heavenly Father. Lord, these sweet promises that are meant to grant us a reprieve from our anxiety, our fear, our tension that we feel in our soul because we're trying to be God. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, and help us. We just cry out for your help. I cry out for your help. And we pray now you would lead us deeper into the truth of the gospel through communion. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.